Hello, darling. How are you? Hello, darling. I missed you so much. I'm so happy to see you, even though it's virtually. Likewise. I missed you all fucking week. It's been too goddamn long. Literally fucking same. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for being patient with us and giving us a week. So Amy and I, (laughs) how we met is uh, doing events. And if you're ever part of the wonderful weird world of events, like a a standard event's about 12 hours long that you're there. But when you have travel out of town for an event, that's like 18 hours. And the company that we work for, even though they plan these events months in advance, we're given like maybe a day and a half notice. So Amy had to uh, go out of town to work an event, basically working 20 hours every single day. And to let her sleep, we made the decision to push the recording a week. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank you. For um, being patient with us. And I'm sure Amy's happy for those four hours of sleep she got <laughs> every night. I am very happy. Monique had worked that event prior. Yeah. So Monique knew the level that I was getting to. And yeah. I had no fucking idea. So Monique got the text of like, holy fucking shit. I thought I would have a couple of hours that... We could just like bang this out real quick. Yeah. And no, I did not. No, no. But I'm back. You're back. (laughs) (laughs) I missed my first flight ever at 32. Because Jeffrey told me I was gonna be super delayed. They that happened to me once. So I was like, I'm not gonna go to the airport and sit there for four hours. And then literally like 30 minutes before my flight was supposed to leave at its regular time, they were like, just kidding, it's not actually late at all. And I was like, uh, I didn't know you could fucking do that and make up two hours. You were delayed somehow. So yep. I spent the night in Miami International Airport. Hey, girl. Hey. And I got a standby <laughs> fucking seat on the first flight out. So I'm here for you, my dear. Yay. I'm so happy to freezing my ass off in New York again. I, I'm so happy. Girl. Girl. My girl. Can I tell you how bad my hair was for the last week? <laughs> I can't. Monique, I understand. I can't. That humidity's fucking killer. I can never go back to Florida. That wonder water was like, fuck you, I'm out. No, I didn't even bring it because I was like, oh, <laughs> it's not even worth it. I just know what I'm dealing with. No. How was your week, lovely? You had a trip to New Orleans. Not for work, for enjoyment. I did. Yeah. So that was another thing. Like I went out of town, I came back in town and immediately Amy left town. <laughs> just was not aligning. So I went because Christina's getting married this weekend. Christina, congratulations, girl. Congrats. So it was like a mini bachelorette thing. And I was very concerned because Mardi Gras slash carnival season is two months long. And actually we're filming, uh, we're recording rather on Mardi Gras today. Happy Mardi Gras. Oh, snap. Happy Mardi Gras. I had no idea. Yeah, which most people don't know when it is because they're fucking pagans and heathens and shit. Uh, Mardi Gras is the day before Ash Wednesday. Oh. When you're reminded that uh, we're all going to die someday. You're welcome, Catholics. That's nice. Yeah. So Ash Wednesday starts Lent, which is 40 days uh, leading up to Easter, right before when Jesus is uh, crucified and then he comes back from the dead three days later. And uh, in that time, there's lots of like prayer and reflection and sacrifice. So you're not supposed to eat meat on Fridays and like you're supposed to give up whatever the fuck else you want. Mardi Gras, which in English translates to Fat Tuesday. So people just fucking wild out because it's like, oh, I got to be like religious and shit for 40 days. So I'm going to like- Let's get all our sins in. Yeah. Let's get them all in, right? Yep. I get it. So New Orleans, uh, not to be, never to be topped, uh, decides to do two months of this. And uh, 
They love a party. They're not going to stop. Nope. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, New Orleans is actually a very Catholic city, but which you, you know. Does not strike me as that. It doesn't, but it's very, it's very Catholic city. That is very true. Yes. So they fucking party hard. So we were going in the middle of Mardi Gras and I was like, oh, fuck, this is going to be a nightmare. But it wasn't. It was great. And well, I never wanted to go to New Orleans during Mardi Gras. So that was like inadvertently checked off for me. Nice. There is a, a secret vampire speakeasy that I am very partial to, and like very much. The last night we were there, we went and it is on Bourbon Street and it has a balcony that overlooks Bourbon Street. So I got to go and there were people on the balcony who had beads. And they're like, do you want to throw beads at people during Mardi Gras from a balcony of yes. Bourbon Street? I was like, fuck yeah, I fucking do. So I got to do that. It was fucking rad. That's super fun. Yeah. I went one time because my aunt lives in New Orleans, but I did not get to throw the beads off the balcony. That's super cool. No, because that's really difficult to get access to a balcony on Mardi Gras. It's like thousands of dollars. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, usually you're the person who's catching the beads. Yeah. Right. I did get to go to a drive through daiquiri place, which I didn't <laughs> think existed or should exist. They shouldn't. They should not. You shouldn't be allowed to purchase alcohol while you're driving. Yeah. But they do because Louisiana. Louisiana, New Orleans. Hey, girl. I also do another Ghost and Vampire tour with French Quarter Phantoms. Fuck yeah. Leonard was the tour guide. He was fucking phenomenal. Their, uh, French Quarter Phantoms is always phenomenal. And even though it was the same tour, the stories were different. Oh. Except for like, there's always a La Lurie mansion. The standard. The standard. Like everyone wants to hear about the fucking, you know, Madame La Lurie. But all the other stories were very different. And I was like, fuck yeah. Like they just, French Quarter Phantoms does it fucking right. They're great. I love it. So if you ever go to New Orleans, get a tour of French Quarter Phantoms. You will not be disappointed. Awesome. Yeah. And New Orleans has enough ghosts that like you could do a new story every fucking yeah, time. I mean, I one. Think. Yeah. Right? Because they do, the, the one I did is a ghost slash vampire. Oh. So it's both. I like that. Okay. Checking all your boxes, Monique. I love it. Who doesn't, right? Right. Did you eat king cake? Did you find the baby? No. So technically that's supposed to be today. And I was, so, <laughs> so I'm about halfway through uh, working eight days nonstop before I have to go to Miami. So I haven't had a day off in about a week. And then my boss, who I adore, two days ago was like, since you're working on Mardi Gras, I think you should throw a Mardi Gras party at the bar. And I was like, cool. I don't have any time for this. I would love something else on my plate. Amazing. Appreciate it. Great. Appreciate you. Amazing. And then because there was like zero notice and because of supply chain shit, I couldn't get anything from Amazon until after Mardi Gras. So I've just been like at Party City for the last three days getting shit. And I was trying to get a king cake. For those of you who don't know, uh, king cake is, uh, it's almost like a cinnamony cake. Yeah. And it's got like colored sprinkles on top. Yeah. It's got red, green, and gold sprinkles or frosting because Mardi Gras. And then there's a plastic baby like baked into it. A choking hazard. Amazing. Super smart. A huge choking hazard. <laughs> and basically you like serve the cake and then whoever gets the piece with the baby in it is one king or queen for the day. And then two, they're responsible for buying the cake the following year. Yep. That's the thing. I've only had king cake once, which was like right when I moved here. And I was trying to get some king cake here, but apparently there's no king cake in New York. Yeah. They were like, oh, you can order it from New Orleans for like $70. And I'm like, I, I'm just not that invested. Invested. <laughs> <laughs> My boss 
at one of my jobs in New York City was from Louisiana. And literally every single year, she would pay that fucking fee to get king cake from Louisiana on Mardi Gras to have in the office. So that's the last time I had king cake was like seven years ago when my boss ordered it from Louisiana. So is that Dale Carnegie? Yeah, it oh, was shit. Dale Carnegie. Yep. That seems like a Dale Carnegie vibe. Right? It was nice. I didn't get the baby either. It's fine. That's good. That, that, no responsibility for you. Thank you. But you're the queen for the day, regardless. I'm declaring it, Monique. I- <laughs> you were amazingly accommodating to me you. this week. And I'm obsessed with you. And I just like love you. And thank you for everything that you do. You're an angel. Stop. Thank you for everything that you do. I love you and I'm obsessed with you. Stop it. I love you and I'm obsessed with you. <laughs> so. Let's jump in. All right. The water's fine. Mm. Let's go. All right. I'm walking in. Amy's starting us off with some some spooky shit. I am starting us off with some spooky shit. I'm rubbing my hands. Ooh. But first, I'm going to disappoint everybody a little bit because this week I did a little research into my shower ghost. Uh-huh. And by did a little research, I mean I did one Google search and <laughs> basically just confirmed that what I thought might have happened, happened. According to tradewindsimports.com, kitchenhomelet.com, and a bunch of other random plumbing sites, when enough water pressure builds up against the tap, which is essentially just a screw, the excess pressure eventually causes the faucet to turn by itself. Apparently, it's common in faucets that are older, which the building I live in is like 100 years old, so check. And more than likely, it will happen with the hot water tap because... As I hope everyone remembers from their grade school science classes, matter expands when heated. And it was the hot water tap that turned on in my shower. So check that box too. So the hot water expands, taking up more volume and increasing the pressure. All right. And in order to release that energy, the excess pressure forces the tap to twist. It's apparently a pretty common occurrence, and it's even more likely to occur if the packing nuts, rubber washers, or hose are worn down. Faucets might also turn on randomly if the packing is too tight and the packing is basically just a seal that goes around the shaft that takes the handle in. Plumbing jargon. Guys, there's no ghost in my shower. Right. Bottom line. Thank God. Thank God. I was really concerned about it. I did not want to deal with that, honestly, Monique. No. I was about to buy like all sage cleaning products and just like, instead of smudging my shower, (laughs) just like sage myself constantly. Absolutely. So... While my shower ghost turned out to be a huge bust, I decided to do my story this week on shower ghosts. Oh, shit! Yeah. But since it's kind of weirdly specific, I decided to expand that topic a little bit. So today, I'm going to tell you about bathroom ghosts. This is horrifying. (laughs) This is like all of our nightmares come to life right here. No, literally. Like, what are you more vulnerable that like I would even say like you're less vulnerable sleeping than when you're naked and like dropping the tubes in your fucking bathroom. Literally. You're being haunted. Get the fuck out of here. You're taking the words like right out of my mouth. That's like basically my first sentence. But before I get into that, <laughs> sources. <laughs> I know, Monique. Girl, you're like reading from my thing Psychic right now. Sisters. Get out of here. For real. Fingers in the eyes. All the fingers, all the <laughs> eyes, always. Sources. Medium.com atlasobscura.com, socology.co.uk, thoughtcatalog.com, Wikipedia, and again, the awesome page of day calendar that you got me for Christmas. Fuck yeah. Dude, there's bathroom ghosts and shit in there? Yeah, girl. Dude, 
Love it. Of course there was. There was everything in that thing, honestly. Fuck yeah. I mean, they do have to come up with 365 ghost things. <laughs> yeah, some of them you're like... <laughs> like scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, like you phoned this in. <laughs> Literally. Now, while the bathroom usually feels like a safe and private space, it's also the place, like Monique said, where we're arguably the most vulnerable. Whether we're using the shower or the toilet, we're in some state of undress, exposed and doing God knows what, so there is a certain amount of danger or uncertainty associated with being there. Mm -hmm. Since it's also one of the few rooms where a lot comes standard, it makes sense that we think of bathrooms as a safe place where we can escape and keep others out. I used to do that at, at the office that I worked at. When I couldn't deal with my boss, I'd just go to the bathroom and just like hang out there for a little bit. Uh, but my boss like had would literally open the bathroom door and like call out to me for like bullshit. And I was no. like, I'm in the fucking bathroom and you're like, a man. Get out. Oh, get the fuck oh. out of here. I just automatically yes. assumed this was a woman. Super inappropriate. No, now. no, no, no. no, would no, open, no. Like he would go in, but get he'd open out. the door and like call out to me for shit. And I'm like, Mm-mm. I literally can't even go to the fucking bathroom without you fucking harassing me for bullshit. No. What the fuck? No. But I know for a fact, all of us have definitely gone to the bathroom and just put the lid down on the toilet, sat on the toilet, and played on our phones. Just be like, I need five minutes to not deal with anything. It's never even occurred to me to play on my phone. It's just like what? me having existential dread. Now I'll just like sit there and be like, what the fuck? I just need like just a like, second. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I get that too. <laughs> yes. Like, Look over my life choices. Be like, how the fuck did I, did I get here? I'm so fucking miserable. I need a second. <laughs> I was like, existential dread could be the name of my fucking biography. Let's be real. <laughs> Too real, Monique. Too real. So if you find yourself getting a little creeped out in there, it's probably because you've watched enough horror films to know it's a common movie trope. Whether you're like Monique, who does not abide an opaque shower curtain Mm-mm. because we've all been traumatized by the iconic stabbing scene in Alfred Hitchcock's 1960 hit film, Psycho, or you're like me and can't help but hold your breath a little when you close the mirror door to your medicine cabinet because you genuinely expect jump scare. Mm. We've all seen plenty of examples that fuel our fear of something attacking us while we're trapped and vulnerable in the bathroom. While modern horror movies may have given us an unnatural fear of what should be a safe place, the concept of haunted bathrooms has been around for far longer and actually originated in Japan. In 1930, the first recorded haunted bathroom ghost was Akamanto, which translates to the red cape. Let me tell you, the Japanese have a thing with like bathrooms, which are like fucking nuts. Yes, literally. This idea of the haunted bathroom originated in Japan. They were like, yeah, we know what the fuck terrifies people. This is not surprising to me at all. No, 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 no. I find Japanese horror like especially horrifying. They do horror very well. Oh, I was talking about this yesterday. Yeah. 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 Girl, of course you were. Yeah. Because you channeled my fucking story, psychic sister. Fingers in the eyes. (laughs) (laughs) This well-known urban legend, also known as Aoi Manto, or Blue Cape, or in some variations, Akai Kami, Aoi Kami, which translates to red paper, blue paper. Akamanto is said to resemble a person completely covered by a flowing cape and hood, wearing a mask that hides. That's horrifying. Yes, but wearing a mask that hides an irresistibly handsome face. Oh. Which, okay, but how do you know? He's got a mask on the whole time. I mean, that's true. How do you know? Projecting, yes. 
he's said to appear to people in public restrooms, usually in the last stall. And as they are going to wipe, the masked spirit asks his victims if they would like red toilet paper or blue toilet paper. Is that a thing in Japan? I have no idea. This is the only place I heard them mention the colored toilet paper. I'm assuming they just have white toilet paper like we do, but I don't know. You can get that weird, like, weird novelty paper that has, like, things printed on it and stuff, but I'm pretty sure they just, it's just for the story, I think. Yeah. I mean, that'd be kind of weird. Like, it's like, one, there's a ghost, and it's like, what's the deal with the red and blue paper? Is this, like, the Matrix? Girl, you're about to fucking find out. Like, if you wipe with one? Yep. (laughs) Oh, yep. Get the fuck out! You ready for this, Monique? No, I'm not, clearly. You are not ready for this. So... The masked spirit asks his victims if they would like red toilet paper or blue toilet paper. Choosing red means Akamanto will stab or flay his victims, while choosing blue means that he will strangle them or drain their blood. Equally horrifying options. This is like, like, essentially like a cake or death thing? Yeah. Yeah. There's no good option. It's all shitty, apparently. What the fuck? It's like, is nothing an option? How about but how about the white Charmin that I have? Is that okay? Can we do that? <laughs> Can I just get Ghost? that? That'd be great. That'd be really great. <laughs> a double ply would be great. Yeah, none of that single ply shit that all the public restrooms have. Get out of here. I know. Also, while it's not offered as an option by Akamanto, apparently, if you choose yellow toilet paper, Akamanto may urinate on you or drown you in the toilet. Oh. Trying to outsmart it won't work, and choosing any other color will just cause you to be dragged to the underworld. I am? Yes. I am a gas. Girl. I would imagine that if you go to Japan, then the last stall is always free. That no one would fucking go into that last stall. So look at that. Life hack. If you're in Japan, go to the last stall because no one's going to fucking go. I wouldn't go in there if I heard the shit. No. Fuck no. Apparently, though, you can escape punishment by just refusing the offer altogether. And you're just like, no, I'm good. I'm going to like drip dry. I'm fucking with the Charmin. And I'll figure this out. Yeah, I'm good. Another one of Japan's best known bathroom spirits is Tore no Hanoko-san, or Hanako of the Toilet. Hanako's story varies by region, but usually Hanako is said to be the ghost of a young girl who died around World War II. She's described as wearing an out-of-fashion red dress with a bob haircut and now haunts school bathrooms. She can be summoned by going to the girls' bathroom on the third floor, knocking on the third stall three times, and saying, Are you there, Hanako-san? Depending on regional variations, Hanako will either respond by saying, Yes, I am, or a ghostly hand will appear. No, thank you. Also, Mm -mm. and there wasn't really context for this, But I read that if you enter the stall, a three-headed lizard might eat you. I don't know what that's about, but if I've learned anything from anime, it's that Japanese stories tend to be fucking weird. So this doesn't actually surprise me. I mean, the countries we beat in World War II are really into some weird shit, let me tell you. And definitely into some weird porn, which, whatever, no no judgment. If everyone's consenting, great. But, you know, it's not just a missionary, wham, bam, thank you, man situation. There's no. there's a lot of shit happening. Definitely. Sometimes literally. Yep. Speaking of anime, Hanako's ghost has even made an appearance in numerous anime series and television shows, like 
that's how popular this urban legend is. Oh, shit. Another young girl said to haunt the bathrooms of Japan is named Kashima Reiko. She is said to be the ghost of a girl who died when her legs were severed by a train. Her legless torso now haunts bathroom stalls, asking unlucky visitors, where are my legs? <gasps> if you don't give the correct answer of on the Mation Expressway, it is said that she might tear a person's legs off. There's also a variation that suggests she will appear within one month to anyone who learns her story, which, if that sounds familiar, it's because it's basically the setup for the ring. Also, are you fucking us right now? Like, in a month, are we are we going to get, like, 50 DMs from people being like, bitch, she fucking showed up to me because she said the story? I mean, we'll find out. <laughs> Did I plan this? Maybe. Maybe. I just need some evidence. I don't know. Just stand out there. <laughs> Maybe she doesn't cross the ocean. Maybe she just, nah, it's, like, too far. I have enough. Maybe she doesn't have a visa or passport. Yeah, I have enough going on here, actually. I have enough hauntings. I'm good, actually. I don't know if we have listeners in Japan. I don't remember. But if we do, sorry. Also, let us know. Yes, I was going to say, tell me. Even further back, there are stories of two of Japan's yokai being associated with the bathroom. Sometimes referred to as demons, yokai are not demons in the Western sense of the word, but are instead spirits and entities in Japanese folklore, whose behavior can range from malevolent to mischievous to friendly. One such yokai, the amphibious kappa, is said to sometimes be found in bathrooms. While it's not specifically thought of as a bathroom spirit and is really just a creature associated with rivers and ponds and water in general, there are stories in which the kappa appears in an outhouse where it harasses people, especially women. Because being in an outhouse isn't bad enough. Right? What the fuck? I know. Again, I don't want to be harassed while I'm like doing my business. Thank you. Kappa are typically depicted as green, human-like beings with webbed hands and feet, a turtle-like shell on their backs, and a depression on their heads called a dish that retains water. If the dish is damaged or its liquid is lost, the kappa is severely weakened. They're also obsessed with politeness, so if you bow, it will return the gesture, which then, like, knocks the water off, and then they can't do anything until the water is refilled. So the water's the source of their power. Yes. And if you refill it, that kappa serves you for all eternity, apparently. Oh, shit. Another weakness of the kappa involves its arms, which can be easily pulled from its body. If an arm is detached, the kappa will perform favors or share knowledge in exchange for its return. Apparently, their favorite food is cucumbers, and they love sumo wrestling. They are often accused of attacking humans in the water and removing a mythical organ called the Shiri Kodama from their victim's anus. Girl. Who's <laughs> just not prepared for any part of the story. It gets weirder. Like, <laughs> if you think I'm done with the weirdness, then like, no. I still have a whole sentence left. They could be defeated through sumo wrestling, or, and I wish I was making this part up, but there's legitimately an illustration from like the 1700s in the Wikipedia entry showing this. Apparently, they can also be defeated if you fart on them. I don't know why, Monique. I don't have any real explanation for this. I'm just telling you what I read. I, like, cannot. I can't with any portion of the story. This is outrageous. <laughs> I could not. I literally, I had to include this because it was so fucking ridiculous. 
This next one. Also just, what the fuck, Japan? Like, I love you. Honestly, I've just been so obsessed with Japan since basically high school. But you're weird as fuck. I love it. I'm weird as fuck. But (laughs) (laughs) the other bathroom yokai is known as akaname, which translates to filth liquor. This goblin-esque spirit is depicted as filthy and disheveled, with clawed feet, a cropped head, and a long protruding tongue. They are primarily known for licking the filth off of bathtubs. Girl. And when I was doing the research, I realized that Lush, that like bath product company. The beauty brand? Yes. Yeah? Released a bubble bar named for and modeled after the creatures. So if you Google Lush Akaname, you will see like this little goblin demon head bar with like a long fucking tongue that you can buy and like throw in your bubble bath. Girl, I was not prepared for the level of this. I, no, uh, no, not, there was, there's nothing. Well, but this is this is on the the Amy Trainum brand, no? You give information and you tell me exactly what it is, and I'm still somehow not prepared for it. Nope. I like to do that to people. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things. Especially you, because your reaction is my fucking favorite of everybody. Just like, I'm sorry, what did you say? Yeah, my face is really loud. Like even when I don't say anything, it's all I danced for six years and I was really bad at it for a multitude of reasons. But one of them was like, I couldn't hide my face that something was very taxing. Yeah. You're like, ow, this hurts. Yeah. Nellie and I used to work out together and she used to record me because my faces were so funny when I would <laughs> be doing I any sort of weight. I love that so like, much. I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Johnny has told me on numerous occasions that I cannot hide anything I'm feeling from my face. And you can very easily tell when I'm annoyed and when I've run out of patience. And honestly, I kind of agree. (laughs) He's not wrong. But also you have like angles in your face, which can make you look more severe. Oh, for sure. Even if you're just stoned. Like I don't have any angles in my face. So it's like... I have resting bitch face for real. Yeah. Julia, my best friend from high school, told me she thought I did not like her for like the first few months we were friends. And I was like, why did you think that? And she was like, I don't know. You have like judging eyes. You just look like you're judging. And I was like, those are just my eyes. I, that's, I'm just thinking. Just my face, girl. That's just my face and how it looks. Like, I love you. I'm not judging you at all. There you go. I love it. And then we best friends forever. Yeah. But I do have judging eyes. So. While these two yokai spirits show that the idea of haunted bathrooms has been around since at least the 1700s in Japan, clearly it's a fear that resonates with all of us. So it's no wonder that the idea has spanned oceans, continents, and time. For us Americans, the urban legend of Bloody Mary is probably the most well-known of all the bathroom hauntings. Mm -hmm. Folklorist Alan Dundies notes that as early as 1976, young girls gathered in their school bathrooms to try to scare each other by summoning her. The Bloody Mary ritual, like the similar Japanese urban legends, has its own regional variations. School children, usually girls, will gather in a darkened bathroom at school or a sleepover, look into the mirror, and chant Bloody Mary three times. The ritual might include flushing the toilet, turning around, or repeating a rhyme for consecutive nights before they are supposed to see either a bloody woman, 
i.e. Mary, in the mirror, or their own reflection covered with blood. There are also versions of the story where you don't see a figure at all, but you'll cut your finger later in the week, or when you flush the toilet during the ritual, the toilet fills up with blood. Oh, never heard that. Yeah. I didn't hear any of that either. That was not my regional variation. But then again, you and me are from Florida, so they're probably not that different. Yeah, I had originally heard the say her name three times. And then someone was like, you got to turn around, flush toilet. I'm like, okay, this is like getting really fucking complicated. You know, if this bitch wants to appear, I'm going to put in minimal fucking work. <laughs> Stand up one foot, turn on the water, only the hot water, pump the soap in your hand. Only the hot water. <laughs> it needs to be like somewhat tepid room temperature. If it's more than, if it's three degrees, either way, she's not fucking showing up. Get the fuck out of here, man. <laughs> Relax. She likes her water a very specific temperature. Don't yes. fuck with it. It's like, can you heat the water and then freeze it so that it's room temperature and just leave that it out? That would be great, actually. <laughs> That's my preference. Thanks. I like a frozen water reheated. Alan <laughs> <laughs> Dundee said that all of this bloody summoning is actually just experimentation for and hesitancy about menstruation, which is very interesting. I never thought of it like that. I never would have thought that those two things were related in any way, shape, or form. No. I just thought it was supposed to be scary. I thought it had to do with um, Mary Queen of Scots. Yeah. Some shit, right? Yeah. That, that's what that was about. Apparently not. Which I don't know why we give a fuck about it in the United States, but you know. Right? We're all just scared of our periods, so... Better call Bloody Mary in the mirror. I don't know. I mean, I get it. It's the fucking worst time of the month. <laughs> so, girl. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, no arguments there. Yeah. So, now that we've covered the origins of bathroom hauntings and some of the most well known, let's get into some more personal stories. Mm. A psychic medium known as the Cosmic Doc related her terrifying experience with a presence in her shower, saying, quote, I tell people this story all the time, but many, they don't believe. And the hardcore ghost disbelievers, they laugh even harder. But it is my life, my reality, my experience, end quote. She said she was about 15 when her mom and her had moved into a new house in Stone Mountain, Georgia. A couple days after they moved in, she decided to take a shower in the front bathroom instead of her own, just to test out all the exciting newness. About a quarter of a way into the shower, she was singing and dancing and washing up when, out of nowhere, she felt a hand touch her on her back right shoulder blade. Absolutely fucking not. An adult hand. No. An entire palm, <gasps> in fact, that covered her right shoulder blade. It was mere seconds, but she says the vibrational memory has never left her. Quote, I absolutely freaked out. Wouldn't you? I screamed at the top of my lungs, calling for my mother desperately, end quote. She couldn't scramble out of that shower fast enough to get the hell away from whoever or whatever touched her. Her mom couldn't hear her, and when she ran and told her, her mom panicked. But then, as parents typically do, she blew it off. She did the perfunctory check of the bathroom, but reminded her daughter that there was no one in the house but them. Yep. The cosmic doc was rightfully freaked out and couldn't help but peek around every corner for the next few days. She said she never showered in that front bathroom ever again, nor did she experience anything of the like in any of the other showers in that house or any other anywhere else. She said, quote, of course, it still haunts me decades later. 
even if I was not believed and it was passed off as a figment of my imagination, it happened, end quote. Oof. Then, this one's my favorite. There's the article by Rob Gunther titled, My Bathroom is Haunted and I Think the Ghost is a Loser for It. (laughs) It was actually really funny. If anyone wants to Google it and give it a read, it's actually really entertaining. I love it. Rob said when he moved in, he was pretty freaked out. It wasn't anything in particular. It was just a general sense of dread. That same feeling you get when you're a little kid and you have to go get something from the basement. That tingling on your back like something is watching you, waiting for you. Rob said that's exactly what it was like the first time he was alone in his new place. Mm. Almost immediately, things started to happen. His toothbrush wouldn't be where he left it. Maybe it was like two inches to the left or on the other side of the sink. But he'd just pick it up and brush his teeth, telling himself not to let whatever it was get the best of him. Quote, that was the idea anyway. If there was some sort of presence or spirit, and geez, it sounds ridiculous when I write it out, but just don't acknowledge it, end quote. He wanted to scratch his head curiously, maybe even look around suspiciously. He thought of calling out, hello, is someone here? Did somebody move my toothbrush? But he believed that by saying out loud and acknowledging that he was starting to get really scared, it would just validate whatever was going on. So he ignored the toothbrush, even though he had to start picking it up off the floor. One day, it was missing completely. And when he opened up the toilet seat, (gasps) there it was, floating in the water. Get the fuck out. Right? But he didn't bat an eye. Priest party in this motherfucker. Girl. He got out a pair of rubber gloves, threw it out, and opened up a new one. Quote, you think I'm going to lose my shit over a disposable toothbrush? I don't care. I'll use a new toothbrush every day. End quote. (laughs) Right? His vibe was like amazing. Amazing. (laughs) I'm obsessed with this dude. Dude, he's great. Then there was the toothpaste all over the mirror. Which was a little bit more aggressive, definitely harder to ignore, but he just cleaned it off. Rob said, quote, I'll keep this up as long as you want, all right? Because I'm not afraid of this, whatever it is. It's nothing. There's nothing there. And that's why I'm not afraid, okay? It's not going to kill me, right? I mean, those bruises on my legs when I wake up, that's not a huge deal. People get bruises. And that shadow behind the door Go ahead. Keep looking this way, buddy. I'm not getting up to investigate. I can't not be afraid, but I can pretend not to be afraid. Mm. And eventually, it's got to move on because isn't this a little boring? You're going to spend every day haunting me when it's clearly not messing with me at all? Doesn't that get a little old? Don't you want to maybe find someone who will at least visibly be bothered by such cliche tricks? Because I'm not going anywhere, all right? I almost feel bad for you because it's just so lame. Just go do something else, okay? As far as spirits or ghosts go, you're a total loser, end quote. I want to marry this guy. Right? This would 100% be my vibe if I got a haunting. Just like, oh, I just don't acknowledge it. Like, oh, this is weird. I don't like this, but like, just ignore it. And it's just, it'll go away. No, this is not my vibe. No. I'm just not a chill person. No, no, no. (laughs) I wouldn't like necessarily be freaking out, but I'd be like, dude, can you just leave me the fuck alone? Like, I would be like, you're a fucking loser, guy. What? (laughs) Like, just, come on. You're (laughs) pathetic. 
Now, according to the page day calendar that Monique got me for Christmas, yeah, there is a moaning myrtle-like ghost who haunts a bathroom at Indiana State University. Oh, shit. But instead of crying, she apparently throws up. Oh. Known as Barfing Barb. <gasps> this permanent resident of the university's Buford Hall haunts the second floor bathroom. Concerned students have reported hearing the sounds of someone retching, but when they go to check... No one is there. Usually, Barb is said to be a freshman who died of alcohol poisoning, hence the barfing. But there is also the alternate version in which she died by suicide in room 217. In 1968, it was reported that the ghost had a routine to laugh hysterically, throw up, flush the toilet, then scream. (gasps) She also is said to play pranks, such as opening locked doors and turning off alarms to make students late for class. Which, get the fuck out of here. How dare you? How dare you, you Dude, bitch. and like you fucking, you roll into class late, and they're like, what the fuck? You're like, dude, the ghost turned off my alarm. The ghost. And they're like, okay, you can take a seat. And the dog ate your homework too. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. We know you're hungover as fuck, Jeff. Get in the chair. It's like, can't both of those things be true at the same time? I can be hungover as fuck. And the ghost could have turned off the and alarm. The, yes. <laughs> I was like, yeah, drunk me still set the alarm yeah. to prepare for hungover me. Thank you. Exactly. Barb was heard as recently as 1992 when an RA heard someone puking in the bathroom. But when he went to check, there were no feet under the stall doors. And when he left, he heard the retching sound start up again. That's horrifying. It is horrifying. Now, I've obviously only scratched the surface of the topic of haunted bathrooms because even though my shower ghost was a huge bust, there are plenty of reports of shower and bathroom ghosts from all over the world, from theaters to hotels to schools to restaurants and pretty much everything in between. There have been reports of ghostly visitors showing up to terrify people in the very last place you want them to. That was awesome. Thanks so much for that. Thank you. I needed to know that shower ghosts were real and that my fear was founded, despite it just being my plumbing. Well, I don't know if you remember this, but one of the first True Listener Tales episodes, when they went to the Queen Mary in the bathroom. (gasps) Yes, yes. At the end of the tour, I think it was they felt someone behind them like touch them. Because they they all got into like these bathroom stalls and felt someone touch them behind them. So it's a thing. I guess ghosts are down with being nowhere safe. Nowhere is safe. Ghosts are everywhere, including your fucking bathroom. And I feel like in our interview with Honey Beavers and Sassy, their Airbnb was haunted. And I feel like the energy was mainly in the bathroom. That's right. Look at that. Fucking everywhere. So fortunately, my bathroom is not haunted, which I'm very excited about. But they're out there. So be careful, kids. There you go. Sage the shit out of your bathroom. Yep. Or just, you know, also put like, just like a nice candle to like. There you go. You know, soak up whatever weird smells. That's nice. Come out of a bathroom. (laughs) That's really nice. Yeah. They should make just like a sage wick candle. And then you could just be like constantly smudging. Oh, shit. I'm sure they do. I'm sure it's probably on Etsy. You could find them. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. You going to horrify me now? You get some bloody murders for me? Some weird what the fuck true crime? 
I do. I absolutely fucking do. All right. Lay this fucking true crime on me, girl. So first up, I just want to thank my girl, Christina, who by the time this episode drops, will be married uh, because she's the one who told me about the story. Thanks, girl. Christina, I love it. Okay. So this story is coming to you by the newly married Christina. Mrs. Christina. Mrs. Christina, if you're nasty. Ooh. Um, <laughs> Ooh. And we all know we are. I mean, obviously. <laughs> she wouldn't be friends with me if she wasn't. Um, <laughs> I didn't destroy the bathroom ghost, Monique. I am definitely in the nasty level. Come on. Yes. So this story is about Susan Walters. Oh, okay. Sources, ranker.com, medium.com, and then two sources that I will withhold until the end. Ooh, I love when you do that. Mm-hmm. In 1988, Susan Walters was a successful ER nurse who had a lot going for her, but she was unattached and had been for some time. And because it appears that Susan Walters and I have the same mother, her mother was very distressed by this. Susan said, quote, I was cautious about marriage. I did not know if I knew how to be married. I didn't see a lot of successful marriages growing up, end quote, which is a totally fair concern. Yeah. But... Mama Walters was not having any of it, so as a birthday gift for her 33-year-old daughter, Susan's mother placed a personals ad in the local newspaper, hoping that someone would bite. Can you fucking imagine that shit? Wow. Overbearing. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking relax, dude. Two weeks later, in January of 1988, Susan got a reply from 40-year-old Mike Kuhnhausen. Susan called him the very same day and recalled that his voice was very pleasant sounding. Mike told Susan that he had fought in Vietnam and now worked as a janitorial supervisor at an adult entertainment business. He had been married once before and had two young children. And best of all, he wasn't afraid to fall in love again. When the two finally met in person, they were smitten kitten with each other and began dating. Susan said, quote, I thought we're a couple of old hearts. We can make a life together. End quote. Mike was more of a home buddy who enjoyed spending time in the outdoors, so Susan would often go hiking with him because she's a better woman than I am, obviously. <laughs> Susan was definitely the extrovert of the two, and Mike didn't seem to mind. Susan said, quote, He wasn't a big, let's go to have dinner at a restaurant kind of guy, so we did a lot of simple things, but I had plenty of opportunity to continue to hang out with friends, go places, do things, travel, and he seemed to be fine with that. End quote. Susan's family liked Mike. Her brother James said, quote, he was nice to my sister. He had a good job. You know, he seemed to have a good work ethic. You know, all that sort of thing. End quote. Things were going strong with the two. And in May of 1988, Susan and Mike moved in together. And in December of that year, less than a year into knowing each other, Mike and Susan tied the knot in front of their families in an intimate ceremony in Reno, Nevada. Susan said, quote, We picked Reno, Nevada because what bigger gamble in life is there than marriage? I was very proud that I was brave enough to get married. I was very proud that my spouse was brave enough to marry a second time. So I felt very optimistic about our life together. End quote. Back in Portland, the newlyweds quickly settled into married life and Susan felt like her gamble had paid off. She loved Mike's kids like they were her own and her family felt complete. Susan said that the first 13 years of their marriage had been a happy one. But over time, that began to change. Uh, I know. Like gambling. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Sometimes you're not having a good streak. I mean, 
in gambling, the house always wins. Oh, yeah. Like when you when you make money, get the fuck out, cash out, get out, man. Yep. Gambling's not my vice. So, I, you know, I don't understand it, but I get the appeal. It's just not for me. Their outing stopped and his affection for her lessened by the day. He became really concerned and controlling about how Susan was spending her money when she would go out with her friends. This baffled Susan, seeing as one, she made more money than Mike, and two, their finances had never been an issue. So who gives a fuck how she spends her hard-earned money? Yeah, I'm not blowing all the rent money on this. Exactly. Like, yeah, settle down. Relax. Calm the fuck down. Yeah. Mm -mm. By the winter of 2002, Mike's behavior had gone from bad to worse. Susan's good friend, Helen Boulogne, also noticed the change in Mike. She said, quote, as time wore on in their marriage, he seemed to become more negative. Even just what I would call sometimes and be talking to Susan, he would be listening in the background or frequently she would just hang up because it just wasn't worth the trouble, end quote. Which, red flag. Wait, like on the other line or just like eavesdropping? I think she meant like eavesdropping. Like that okay, okay. basically like she couldn't get a, a call without him like being there listening to the phone call. Like creeping on her shoulder. Yeah. yeah. Which, like, both are creepy, but the listening on the other line thing is just one step up from that. For sure. Yeah. But but also, it's like, just let me have my fucking phone call. Like, do your own thing. Don't listen to my phone call. We're not talking about you. Chill, dude. You're being really self-centered right now. Yeah. But turns out that Mike had PTSD from his time in Vietnam and was severely depressed. He would always say, quote, life is a shit sandwich and every day you take another bite until you die. End quote. Which, like... Dude, fucking relax. That's not the motto I want to live by. No. No. And look, like Vietnam was like super intense. I fucking get it. But like, this is also like 2000. Get a fucking therapist. You know, this isn't. Yeah. That's as catchy as life is like a box of chocolates. No, it's definitely not. No. Like that's not going on a movie poster. Can you imagine Forrest Gump being like, life is like a shit sandwich. You take a bite every day. No. Until you die. Until you die. <laughs> I don't think people would like that movie as much as they do. I know. He became more and more despondent, controlling, and lazy, and even told Susan he wasn't sure if he even knew what happiness was because he didn't think that he'd ever been happy in his life, which, ugh. That's fucking depressing. I can't, it's uh, depressing. Yeah. I can't And part that. of me is a little like, wah, wah. Like, I know. Part of me is like that too. Dealt with a lot of manipulative people, and I'm just kind of like, you know, fuck you. But if this is really true that he is like this depressed, like go get fucking help. Your wife is not there to be your emotional, like it's not her job to do all of this shit. Yeah. What, what year is this now? We're in like 2002 right now. Okay. Okay. Like this is unacceptable. Yeah. I was like, is this still like the nineties where like men don't believe they need therapy because it makes them weak in some way, which like What's the vibe? I rewatched Twister the other day, and the shit he says about therapy, it's dude, therapy is great, and you clearly need it because you have huge anger management issues. Right, exactly. But so check this shit out. So Susan's brother got involved with the VA and tried to help his brother-in-law out, like tried to get him therapy and shit, but Mike was just not fucking having it. By the summer of 2005, Susan was at her wit's end and asked her husband to go to marriage counseling with her which he declined, dude, claiming that counseling is what doomed his first marriage. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's not what doomed his first marriage. Yeah. I'm not an expert, but I'm 100% certain that wasn't it. Yep. Yes. That's what I'm, I'm going to go with. 
Susan told him in no unclear terms that if he wasn't willing to work on their relationship, then she was going to file for divorce. So Mike reluctantly agreed to attend counseling. But by the end of the summer, Susan felt that there really hadn't been any significant improvement or progress in their relationship. And in September 2005, the couple agreed to trial separation. Susan said, quote, I didn't want to fail at marriage and I didn't want Mike to fail a second time. No matter how I changed my life to accommodate his needs, it was not working. And I felt I was losing my own life as well, end quote. Ugh, I know. Mike moved out and moved in with his father. Seeing as how Susan and Mike shared grandchildren, Susan tried to keep things as civil and normal as possible. She said, quote, We continued to do things together as a family. He would come over to the house and spend time with us, end quote. Susan only had one request that Mike would not go in the house while she was not home. Because yes, Mike still had access to the house. Oh, no. I know, girl. I know. Don't do that. No, don't. That's not okay. She's just being nice and like... And she seems like a really nice, decent person who doesn't want to like poke the bear and escalate the thing. Yeah. But like... Think you're doing the right thing. Not everyone is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I lived with a guy for like two years and I didn't want to, but that's neither here nor there. And when we broke up, he like wouldn't give me the key to my apartment back. I'd be like, I'm calling the locksmith tomorrow morning. I wasn't even like that. I was like, I will call the cops and have them go to your office and get that fucking key back. And then he like, he flipped out at me being like that. I was the asshole. And I'm like, no, no, this is my fucking apartment. You do not live here, sir. You basically like squatted in for two fucking years. And like, you're not giving me my key back and we're not together? Absolutely fucking not. Get out of here. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. The two were separated for a year, but during that time, she was determined to maintain a friendship with him. They spent time together with his kids and grandkids. She would invite him over for the holidays and parties with his friends. But all the while, she could feel Mike's growing rage and anger. Susan had friends over for the holidays and invited her estranged husband. She recalled seeing Mike from across the room staring at her and her friends with a strange look in his eyes. One she could tell meant that he was getting angrier. And it was on that day that she decided to file for divorce. She said, quote, I'd never wanted to be a failure at marriage and worked very hard over the course of 17 years to build a relationship. But he had issues with anxiety, abandonment, and anger that as he got older became more intense and more disruptive to our life together. I had witnessed domestic violence in my family and in my professional life to the point where I felt we were at risk because I was not happy. He had never been happy, and I felt that we needed to separate for our safety, end quote. Which, damn, not a thing I ever would have thought. Oh, the thought of that. But she's also a fucking ER nurse. Yeah. So she sees the shit. Yeah. Like, you have to be fucking perceptive and... Just for sure. Very self-aware. Susan knows what the fuck time it is. Straight up. Oof. She sees the red flags. She does not have rose-colored glasses on. She... Absolutely fucking not. Susan decided to reclaim her happiness. And despite still loving him, Susan began divorce proceedings. Even though they were separated, they spent a lot of time together, as I said. And Mike still had keys and the alarm code to her home. And Susan was certain... Well, this is the shit that like is a little like Susan. Susan was certain that he was continuing to enter her house when she wasn't home, 
even though he doesn't fucking live there anymore. And not to mention, she specifically asked him to not go into the fucking house when she wasn't home. Yes. Do not. Respect her wishes. Like, that's not your property, sir. You're trespassing. It's a crime. Exactly. She's being nice about it by not reporting you, but you're constantly committing a crime. Yes. Yes, exactly. She said, quote, I thought that he was probably trying to find information about what was going on in my life since the separation, end quote. By late summer of 2006, she had separated their bank accounts, leaving Mike shit out of luck because not only was he living with his dad because he was unable to afford his own place, he had lost his job, further adding to his anger and rage at Susan. A few weeks later, on September 6, 2006, Susan called Mike in the afternoon to check in on him. She recalled that he sounded surprised to hear from her, and he was even agitated, telling her that he couldn't take it anymore and he was heading to the beach and had left her a note at the house. The 51-year-old emergency room nurse left Providence Portland Medical Center on Northeast Gleason Street and headed to the Perfect Look Hair Salon on East Burnside Street, wanting to get her hair done before leaving town for a nursing convention. While she waited for her turn, she read a poem from Oprah Magazine. The poem began, quote, I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear, end quote. An hour later, Susan drove home with her new hair color. At around 6.30 that evening, she arrived home, disarmed the alarm, and found a note from Mike on the table inside her uh-uh. fucking house Mm-mm. that read, quote, I can't take it anymore, and I'm going to the beach for a walk, end quote, which is the same bullshit he told her on the phone. Yeah. When she got home, she saw the bedroom and saw that it looked dark. She assumed that she must have forgotten to open the bedroom curtains, as she had done every morning. So initially, she didn't think anything was amiss because her house has an alarm. Uh... She moved towards the partially closed bedroom door when out stepped a 5'9", 190-pound man with long grayish hair and yellow dishwashing gloves on and a hammer in his hand. Oh, the hammer is horrifying, but the rubber gloves, oh, it freaks me out so much more. Like, this dude is trying to go away with fucking murder. This is not like a crime of passion where he's like, grab the closest thing next to him. Dude, you are lying in my closet in wait with yellow rubber gloves. This whole story is a fucking powder keg right now. I can't. Literally, that was the thing that fucked me up the most was the fucking dishwashing gloves. Like that, I was like, oh my God. Thank you. And I didn't even realize why, like until what you said, I'm like, that's exactly what it is. Like he like wants to be clean because it's going to be a fucking mess in here. Yes. Yes. I don't want my fucking fingerprints on this. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. She said, quote, who are you? What are you doing here? Get out of here. End quote. And he swung the hammer, hitting her on the side of her head and again on her temple. Oh, my God. She said, quote, I was so full of fear and rage and adrenaline myself that the only thing I could feel was terror and the knowledge that I needed to do everything I could to live through this, end quote. The chills. Girl. That, like, survival when everyone just, like, goes, I didn't feel the pain. I just went straight into survival mode. (sighs) Like, that gives me the biggest wave of visceral chills. The 51-year-old struggled to get the hammer out of the intruder's tight grip. And it's during all this that Susan starts to put together that this isn't a burglary. He's not asking her about money or valuables or where the safe is. He's not saying anything. This is a straight-up murder. Mm -hmm. Then, as the struggle continues, he says, quote, you're strong, end quote. And Susan recalls saying, quote, 
And I saw in his eyes something that made me believe that he had done this before. <gasps> he sounded surprised, but he also sounded excited. Oh. I knew he was here to kill me. End quote. Susan, no. Girl. Girl. Susan was terrified. But what do we say to the god of death? Not today, bitch. Not today, bitch. Nope. Mm. Susan grabbed the intruder by the throat and face to face, nose to nose, she told him, quote, you're not going to kill me in my home, end quote. Susan, fuck yes. Fucking tell that piece of shit. Girl. And the man began to turn blue and Susan felt that he was going to pass out and she grabbed the hammer. Susan said, quote, my father was a carpenter in the 60s. You didn't have home alarms. And he told us that we could feel free to use a hammer and that we should use the clawed end yep. because it would work best. Mm -hmm. When I had control of the hammer, I used the claw end because it did work the best. End quote. Girl. Uh, girl. Is Susan my fucking hero right now? You don't even fucking know. Also, my dad's a carpenter, so I relate super hard to this. Girl, you don't even fucking know the badassery that's about to fucking take place. Oh my God, tell me right now. This was already like Graw. badass scale level 10. Graw. Susan is 100% that bitch. Like straight up. Fuck yeah. Susan hit her assailant three or four times before losing the hammer. And then she ran. But she only made it a few feet outside the bedroom before the man grabbed her from behind, spun her around, and began punching her in the face knocking her to the ground. Girl. Fucking piece of shit. What, what a fucking piece of shit. Susan looked to the left, trying to reach the phone, but she couldn't. When she turned her head back, she saw the man had the hammer and was bending over her, ready to hit her again. Knowing that if he did, she'd be dead, Susan grabbed him by the leg and pulled him down and tried to wrestle the hammer out of his hand. But she couldn't. She was fucking tired. Susan tried screaming for her neighbor, but her voice was going. So Susan started biting her attacker. She bit him on his forearm, twice on his upper arm, on the edge of his back, along his right flank, on his thigh, and on his genitalia with the hope of getting him to drop the weapon. Yeah, girl. Susan, you fucking badass bitch you. I fucking love this story so much already. I'm so fucking here for this right now. I can't. Girl, girl, you know, and that was the thing. I used to listen to My Favorite Murder ages ago, and there was a thing I remember them saying that when you're in the fight of your life, like, don't play fair. No. Gouge fucking eyes, bite, like, do whatever the fuck you need to do. Get the fuck out of there. A hundred fucking percent. Susan is not fucking playing. No. So she's doing all, she bites him in the fucking dick, which work, girl. Yes. Yeah. With the hope of getting him to drop the weapon or... That if she did die, the marks she left on him would help law enforcement know that he was the one that had done this to her. Fucking so smart. So smart. Girl, girl. She said, quote, I felt for stuff in pockets, an ID, a key, a comb, anything that I could throw into the next bedroom so that when they found me dead in the hallway, they would know that I fought and struggled. That is so smart. I just... I thought I had heard all of the, like, I did the thing. I was aware of the situation and paying attention to the drive and the turns and looking at the mail. And it literally never would have occurred to me to take something from his pocket and throw it into another fucking room. 
like, okay, I see you, Susan. I see you. Susan is 100% that bitch. Yes. When I realized I was not going to ever regain the hammer, it came to me that I needed to become the weapon. I wanted him to be afraid of me as I was of him. End quote. This is a 51-year-old... Badass bitch. Yeah. Badass bitch. Queen Susan. The the chills I've been having every time you fucking say something that she says. Oh, just... Girl, I cannot. I can't. Like, I can't. So Susan put her left leg over his right leg, pushing him face down into the hardwood floor. And she climbed on his backside, leaned forward, and put her arm under his neck and began to squeeze. Now, if you're wondering what the fuck and where did these kung fu moves come from? Well, the hospital she worked at provided self-defense classes that she and her fellow nurses regularly attended. Fuck yes. And they fucking paid off, clearly. Go take a self-defense class, ladies. It could come in handy one day. 10,000 fucking percent. <laughs> Funny story. My dad tried to buy me like dance classes one time. And he's like, <laughs> I kind of got into salsa. Would you like dance classes? And I was like, no, I would really like to learn self-defense. If we're offering classes, then like, can I please do that? And he was like, yeah, of course. And so before I moved to New Hampshire, I took self-defense. So at the self-defense classes, they learned what they needed to know to keep themselves alive if they were ever attacked, such as how to block blows, how to get out of headlocks, and that staying close to the swings of a weapon would make the blows less powerful and therefore less damaging, which I didn't know, but of course makes sense. Yeah. They taught us stuff with like guns too, where it's like, if they're very close to you, honestly, your best bet is to kind of pull them into you because the gun is now behind you instead of like freaking out and running away. Right. Like you're yeah, yeah, better yeah. off close up. Right. Not to mention, she's a fucking ER nurse. Her years of experience in the ER taught her to approach extreme situations with a clear head. Her ability to keep her composure and not panic allowed her to maintain control of the fight from the get-go. Whether she knew it at the time or not, Susan was fully trained for this night. I love Susan so much. Girl, she told him, quote, tell me who sent you and I will call a fucking ambulance, end quote. Girl, the the bamfery is like out of control. Like, I wish I was like 1% this cool and this much of a badass. I'm absolutely not. Yeah. Honestly, sploosh. Like, that's fucking... Absolutely. Basements are flooded. Get the fucking HVAC because the basement's flooded. Straight up. For fucking real, dude. Dude. This woman is my hero. This woman is like my fucking goals for real. Absolutely. I'm never going to get there, but she's amazing. Oh, no. Absolutely. She eased her grip to give the man air to be able to speak, but he didn't. Instead, he started trying to flip her to the ground. And she knew that if he was successful, it would be a wrap. So she put her attacker in a sleeper hold, holding pressure until he stopped moving. The man fell unconscious. Susan grabbed the hammer, got up, and ran out the door to her neighbor Dennis's house. She pounded on the door, and when Dennis answered, she said, quote, Let me in. I've been attacked, and I think I may have killed a man. End quote. <gasps> Dennis let the bruised and bloodied woman in and called the police. When asked if she needed an ambulance, he simply replied, no, she's a nurse. She says, call an ambulance for the guy. He may be dead. End quote. Yes. 
every sentence out of your mouth makes me love her so much more. I Girl. cannot handle how amazing this woman is. I, I can't handle it. Thank you. I needed the story of my life this week. For real. Girl, I fucking got you. Thank <gasps> Christina. I didn't know Christina. anything about this. This is fucking wild. This is wild. Like, she basically sent me a little, like, Reddit thing, and then I went down this rabbit hole, and I was like, oh, this woman is, like, 100% that bitch. She's incredible. Fuck yes. This woman needs to get a show, like, fucking immediately. Girl. The two waited on the porch for the police to arrive, and Susan sat there holding a towel to her face to clean the blood off. She was exhausted. She had fought off her attacker for 15 minutes straight. And to give this perspective, in the world of professional boxing, this equates to five full rounds. Yeah. And in UFC, that's three rounds of head-to-head combat. Yeah. Except in Susan's case, there were no rules. This was literally a fight to the death. A fight which started with her getting hit in the head with With a a fucking hammer hammer. twice. Yes. And they're not like in the same weight class or anything. Like it's literally like the, the dude's much taller than her. It's fucking wild. Authorities arrived on the scene and found the walls covered in blood. Shortly thereafter, an officer came over and Susan asked if her attacker was dead. And the police officer said yes. Susan said, quote, That's what you get, motherfucker. Sorry, not sorry. Well, but here's the thing. Susan's like an incredible fucking person. Of course, because she cares. And I'm a cold, callous bitch where I'm like, fuck this motherfucker. Yeah, totally. So she says, quote, And I immediately began to think about his family, end quote. And she starts getting teary-eyed. I mean, ugh. this woman is literally just perfection. Like, what a like, what a solidly good person. I realize now I'm trash because my first reaction was like, "Fuck this guy." No, see, I was like, "Fuck you." That's what you get, motherfucker. Yeah, his family is better off without him. He's a murdering fucking asshole. Yeah, or attempted murdering asshole. Now he's a murdered asshole. Yeah. Bye. Bye. So then she gets teary-eyed. And then she says, quote, everybody has somebody who loves them. Children, a wife, a mother, a dad. The worst of this is not that someone tried to kill me, but that I had to kill someone else to survive. But I have no shame because I did not choose his death for him. I chose my life. I chose life. End quote. This woman is also just so eloquent and just. Yes. Yes. I am floored. I am in awe right now of her, honestly. Yeah. There's no other word for it. I'm in awe. She's like the perfect woman. Susan immediately suspected that her husband was involved in her brutal attack, but authorities couldn't locate him. Investigators soon learned that the man Susan had killed was an experienced hitman named Ed Haffey. The disgruntled Vietnam vet was an ex-con with a long rap sheet. A Vietnam vet. Interesting. I wonder how oh, that, uh, I wonder that ties in. Yeah. Anyone else hmm. in the story who also yeah. also was in that, <laughs> that conflict? No offense. It doesn't seem like he's really that experienced because he just got his ass handed to him by a 51-year-old trauma yeah. nurse. So My... maybe get a better job. Yeah. You, you kind of suck at this. Yeah. In 2003, a few short years before Susan's attempted murder, Haffey was released from the Eastern Oregon Correctional Institution, where he spent nine years for his role in the brutal death of an ex-girlfriend in 1991. What the fuck? Why was he out? This is so unacceptable. Oh, my God. Don't let those people out. Don't let them out. No. Repeat offenders. Yes. Hello. He's fine. He's not going to do it again. He's like a nice man. He really learned his lesson, guys. Oh, God. I can't. 
He was also a known cocaine abuser. And in fact, an autopsy showed that he had a massive and lethal amounts of cocaine in his system the day he died. So he was like strung out, coked out as fuck during this whole fucking thing. That's a fucking move. Just go rail a bunch of fucking lines before you go murder somebody. I don't, I don't like that at all. It's not great for your anger. It doesn't calm you down. It's not great for the anger, but, but doesn't it kind of give you like crazy strength too? Like kind of like, eh, no, not really. You're just like, you up? no, okay. I don't think so. Maybe I to some know. people. Okay. I have no idea. I've, everyone always, I feel like the quote is says, like, I feel like a rock star. You just feel like the coolest, best version of yourself. You think everything you say is the best, funniest, most clever. I don't know. Mm, okay. Maybe, maybe this guy, maybe if you do enough of it, I don't, I don't know anyone who's done like a lethal or near lethal dose of it. So I, girl, I don't fucking know. Haffy was a horrible person who died in a horrible way. A fact that even his family acknowledged when they addressed Susan and her traumatic experience saying, quote, although this was a terrible thing that happened, no one in this family has any bad feelings towards you. You did what you were forced to do. And in doing so, you spared many from the same trauma you experienced, end quote. A hundred percent. Even his family's like, Girl, we got you it. actually helped other people yeah. by killing him because he was a certifiable piece of shit. Yeah. Also, if like the family had been like, um, no, you should have let him kill you so we could have him still. Fuck you. Get out of here. Right. You're trash too. And here's the thing. Investigators knew that the husband had to be involved because they always fucking are. Yeah. And they just needed to find the link. The next day, while helping to clean up Susan's house, BFF Helen found an odd backpack in the basement. Helen said, quote, I walked over to it and the top was open and inside of it was a notebook that had Mike, Susan's husband's cell number in it. And I knew right away that this wasn't something I wanted to touch, end quote, because clearly BFF Helen is also like on that fucking ID train. Yes. And it's like, this is evidence I'm not fucking touching shit. Everyone here is bang. It's like all of the women here are like nailing this fucking their life and this fucking story. Of course they are. I would not expect Susan to surround herself with mediocre women. She's going to hang out with bitches who know what the fuck is up. Facts is facts. Yes. Believing it belonged to the intruder, Helen hit up the police department who grabbed the backpack and admitted it into evidence. Immediately in the backpack, they found a day planner that had a note dated two days prior to the attack. It simply said, quote, call Mike, need letter, end quote. Ever leave a paper trail, you dumb fox. Yeah, no offense, dude. But if you can't remember it, like, write a post-it and then, like, burn it. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Don't put it in your day planner. Like, what? Girl. I penciled him in. From 6.30 to 7.30, kill Susan. Kill Susan. Then get it. And then get a mani-pedi after. (laughs) Dispose of my rubber gloves. Buy a new pair. Yes. A manila folder in the backpack had Mike Kuhnhaus' mobile number written on it as well. So the evidence against Susan's husband was mounting, but he was still nowhere to be found. Then nine days later, Portland police finally found Mike Kuhnhausen at a beach 20 miles away. <laughs> he did say he was going to the beach. Yeah, he left the note. He's alibying himself. Oh my God. Yeah, he's fucking alibying himself. Like, I, like you fuck can't. It's that shit of like, I'm so smart. <laughs> Okay, here's the thing. You can alibi yourself, but when you hire the hitman and he has your fucking number and shit, your alibi is useless, dude. You hired a hitman. We understand you weren't personally there, but you're still responsible. 
Hi. Literally. Yeah. Get a better hitman. Yeah. He's not experienced. For sure. <sighs> That's why I have to do things myself. Like, I can't trust somebody else to do this. Like, girl, you botched it. Literally. When they brought him in, detectives noted that he didn't seem really concerned with the fact that a stranger had almost brutally murdered his wife. He was only concerned with himself, which, of course, he fucking was. When police questioned Mike about the day of the attack, he admitted that he had been to the house to leave a note for Susan. He also revealed that he knew Ed Haffey. Mike had met Haffey through a veterans counseling group. And from there, the two formed a sort of bond. Both men served in Vietnam. Mike even provided Haffey with a janitorial position at the adult entertainment business where he worked. Girl. Bro, don't shit where you eat, man. Why? Like, why? You have to keep these things very separate if you're going to do this. Like, absolutely. Don't invite the guy into your fucking work. Dude. Don't give him a W-2. Like, (laughs) what? I can't. I fucking can't. They arrested Mike on the spot and bail was set at a million dollars. By the time Susan was attacked, Mike not only was not living in their home, he didn't have a job. And that's when prosecutors believed that he approached Ed Haffey about killing his wife. While money seemed to be the motive, it wasn't for insurance money. Mike couldn't claim any of it since Susan had listed her brother James as her beneficiary and not Mike. Instead, he wanted to kill her so he could reclaim their house, which at the time was valued at $300,000. To him, her being gone solved his problem of the fact that he like doesn't have a place to fucking live. Or he could just fucking sell the house, flip the house, and get $300,000. So he reached out to Ed Haffey with a plan to get rid of her by making it look like a burglary gone wrong. The agreed-upon sum was $50,000 payable after the deed was done. Over the next year, while investigators built a case against him, Mike denied any involvement in Susan's attack. But the evidence was piling up against him, and records show that the alarm system that Susan used at her home had been disabled that day, and the only other person who knew the code was her husband, Mike. He admitted to being at her house that day and knowing the man who tried to kill her. Also, one of Happy's friends that he met in jail testified that Happy approached him for help with a burglary insurance scam, which he declined. Like, this is such fucking amateur hour <laughs> bullshit. Cannot, I'm like fucking insulted. I can't handle how dumb this guy is. Oh my God, Monique. Seriously? Girl. Like, literally, he went through the list of things of like all the things you're not supposed to do. And he was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. Amazing. They're never going to catch me. Oh No, literally, on top of all of that, an eyewitness recalled for the court a specific time when he drove Haffy to meet Mike Kuhnhausen. Guys, you're not fucking nailing it, clearly. <laughs> Look at your life and look at your choices. Look at your fucking choices. (laughs) Why are you so bad at this? (laughs) Like, actually the worst. On September 7th, 2007, a year and a day after Susan's brutal attack, Mike Kuhnhausen shockingly pled guilty to solicitation to commit aggravated murder and was sentenced to 10 years in prison, which is not fucking long enough. What the fuck? Like, just because you didn't physically try to murder the person, like, doesn't make you less culpable somehow. You're responsible. You should get the same punishment for, like, murder. Sorry. And again, just because it didn't go well and it didn't end how you wanted to end, like... Just because you suck at it. Yeah. Just because she's a fucking badass and she managed to survive, like, what most people couldn't, what, somehow he deserves less time because she's still alive? No, he still tried to fucking kill her. He deserves murder. She isn't dead because she's amazing. Yes. And a fucking badass. Ugh. 
this guy. Susan said, quote, When I decided I no longer wanted to live and share his unhappiness, he decided I deserved to be dead. The man who said he loved me wanted me dead. End quote. In her victim impact statement, Susan addressed her husband saying, quote, At least if I believed that you deserved to die, I would have had the balls to kill you myself. End quote. This is in court transcript. Susan, you're such a vamp. I can't even breathe. Oh my God. I'm so fucking obsessed with that. That is the fucking cherry on the fucking top, mm. Monique. Mwah. Mm. Chef's kiss to you. Ah. Oh, Absolutely. You beautiful bitch. You. I fucking love you. Yes. Yes. Even though he was sentenced to 10 years, he would be eligible for parole on September 14th, 2014, eight years into his sentence. No. Is this guy out? We'll get into it. Susan said, quote, he had the possibility of two years off for good behavior, but I began serving a life sentence because I've killed a man and I don't get time off for good behavior, end quote. Which, ugh, like, it's a thing that she, it comes up a lot of like her being so fucked up that she did this because she's just like an incredible fucking person. She's a good person, yeah. She's just a good person. You know, and it's that thing, like one of the detectives was like, her life purpose is helping people. Like she's an ER nurse. Yeah. So her killing someone literally goes contrary to that. Yes. And like, she's so fucked up about this. And they still have to take the Hippocratic Oath as- Of course. Nurses. So yeah, do no harm. She was forced to do harm to somebody, which went against everything she yeah. believed in. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh, girl. With her husband in jail, Susan moved forward with a divorce and back into the same home that she was almost murdered in. She said, quote, it was often difficult. I often would make it to the hallway where I would begin to freeze, but there was no longer any evil in my home. Then I wanted to stay, end quote. Like, this is also wild to me that she fucking stays in the house. I would be like, put that shit on the market immediately. Let's go. Seriously, no. No, I would never go back. No, thank you. No. In 2014, Mike Kuhnhausen had served eight out of his 10-year sentence. He had an upcoming parole hearing in September of that year, and seeing as how an early release was very likely, Susan prepared for her ex-husband's release. She relocated to a new Portland home on an obscure cul-de-sac and surrounded it with gravel so she could hear anyone approaching. She also went to a nearby shooting range to hone her skills and learn to shoot in self-defense. Girl, she's, I can't handle the, like, chills. how smart. I'm still getting chills. And what a fucking bamf she is. She said, quote, if he came here, he was not going to get close enough to hurt me, end quote. Thing is, her paranoia also grew. She took different routes every time she drove and also kept her doors locked and her windows rolled up. In essence, she grew wary of every stranger around her due to her attack. Yeah, how could you not do that fucking... I mean, girl, when this is your, what the fuck happened to you? That scars you. Thankfully... Michael wouldn't live long enough to make it to his parole hearing because on June 13th, 2014, 92 days before his release, Mike Kuhnhausen died of prostate cancer, which had spread to his bones. And from what I understand, it's an extremely excruciating way to die and couldn't have happened to a better person. Took the words right out of my mouth. Fuck this guy. Yep. Fuck this guy. I'm like dancing over here. You guys can't see, but I'm yes, like, yes. like club dancing to this guy's <laughs> prostate cancer death, which is Bye. terrible of me, but I'm here for it. No, it's not. <laughs> Fuck. Fuck this guy. 
But I can't handle, like, what an incredible person Susan is. Because this is what she says. She goes, that even though she was relieved, she was also saddened by his death. Of course she was. She said, quote, I didn't mourn his passing. Instead, I mourned the life he could have had. If only he could have opened his heart for those of us who cared about him. End quote. Can I vote for this woman for, like, the best person of this century? Yes. Seriously. I mean, there no, she's not going to be contested. Like, it's no. officially her. Yeah. You're a shoo-in. Here's the trophy. And your crown. Yeah. Queen Susan. Absolutely. Even though Mike pleaded guilty to his crime, he maintained his innocence of the crime to his dying day. Mike's incarceration letters showed that he claimed he pled guilty only to avoid a potentially longer sentence and persisted in believing that he was the true victim. Fuck this guy. Fuck you. I don't regret my dancing for his death now. No, not now, at all. Now he actually deserves it after that. Absolutely. Susan continued to work as an ER nurse until her retirement in December of 2014. In a Ranker article, author Inigo Gonzalez wrote, quote, Even as other people looked to her and called her a hero, she just couldn't see it. But she was, and still is, a hero. Not only did her will to survive overcome the dangerous men in her lives, but she became an inspiration for other victims just like her. She even helped create a website where victims of violence could get help. Case Companion helps victims in Multnomah County, Oregon, come face-to-face with their trauma, end quote. And you can find Case Companion at casecompanion.multco.us. And that is the story of badass queen Susan Walters, who looked death square in the face and said, not today. This story and this woman were the fucking best, dude. Girl. I needed this this week and- I got you. I'm in awe. Honestly, I can't say it enough. Yeah. She's- She's incredible. Fucking amazing. Dude, I will never be literally like 1% of the woman she is. And I'm floored. I'm fucking floored. Susan. So I think goal for life- is if we could be like half a percent more like her. Done. I'm happy forever. Like just half a percent. I think yes. everyone would, the world would be like a better place just to be half a percent more like Susan Walters. And the two sources that I withheld were I survived and who the bleep did I marry? Oh, good. Good, good, good. Yeah. <gasps> that was so fucking good. Susan, you're fucking amazing. And thank you, Christina. Thank you, Christina. Congratulations. Yeah. Get married, bitch. Yeah. Fuck. I like, I'm I'm so obsessed with the story and this woman. Like, I, what a fucking bamf. What a fucking bamf. I, I mean, I'm not trying to rank anybody, but this might be the ultimate. The ultimate here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Just in like badassery, like you put him in his fucking place. Yeah. Which was the fucking ground. Yeah. She was like, not on my watch and never again for you because she said she saw in his eyes that he had done it before. And she was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. And that he was like excited, like, oh, she's going to like put up a fight. And it's like, bitch, you don't even fucking know. You don't even fucking know, that bitch. That also might have been the cocaine talking. He's like, ah. I mean, maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe. I have no idea. Dude, the story was fucking amazing. Thank you so, so much for that. Girl, I got you. Like, I'm inspired 
I feel like for the rest of the year with that. Right? Like if anything happened, like my fucking stupid airport bullshit, like (laughs) what? (laughs) Did I even complain about that? Yeah. That was like ridiculous. Oh, look at what this woman handled and dealt with, with grace and aplomb. Yes. With like, oh, I can't. And then felt bad for him and cried. And then also like felt bad when her fucking husband who tried to, who ordered the hit on her died. Yes. Oh, this like, woman. I'm sorry. Mother Teresa, step the fuck over. Right? Like this chick is like actually a saint. Yes. Somebody saint her right now. Saint Susan. Right now. Yes. Saint, queen, badass Susan Walters. Dude, thank you so much for that. That was such a fucking good story. Thank you to Christina. All the thank yous. Thank you. And thank you for your <laughs> your bathroom ghost. Oh, girl. You you know I had to do it. I wasn't, I'm not allowing there to be a bathroom ghost in my bathroom. No. Goddamn right. So apparently I just have old, creaky, shitty plumbing in my old New York building. But other people have bathroom ghosts, apparently. So if you do, let us know. Yeah. And thank you guys so much for listening. If you don't already find us on the gram, you can find us at another fucking horror podcast. And you better believe that I'm going to, one, we have to put a picture of the fucking farting on the ghost. Girl. That's absolutely happening. It's ridiculous. Yes, of course. And then we're going to put up a picture of Susan Walters because you have to see what the fuck this queen looks like. I kind of want her like on a shirt. And then just put a little altar in your house or something to her. Pray to her. She's amazing. Yes. I mean, whatever your heart tells you to do. That's what you should do. If I was going to join a religion, it would be Susan's religion. Religion of Susan. Yeah. Where's the fucking lie? I'm here. Let's build a church. Let's do this. No lies detected. Let's fucking go. Let's go. You can find me at Pin Up Girl Mo. You can find me at Lobotomy, and that's Lobot period Amy. Every sixth episode, we do a True Listener Tales episode, which is next week. So if you have any crazy stories fucking let us know and you can send those to another fucking horror podcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the you and fucking guys we're so obsessed with you and our hope for you is that you'll be half a percent more like susan walters and you'll just be nailing your fucking life so keep it cute keep it creepy bye, bye.